0: Well, welcome along to our series on New Zealand sporting history. We so look forward to this on a Thursday afternoon. And wow, this is a really special one. Joining me for the segment today, legendary sports broadcaster John Macbeth, who has... Over his fifty year career, been at virtually every sporting event you could name, rugby world cups and Commonwealth Games and Olympic Games. And to commemorate some of those magical sporting moments, I didn't mention America's Cups, John (laughs) has written a memoir. It's called It's Over, a broadcaster's story, a fascinating walk down memory lane and not just of standout sporting moments, but also of John's life. He's a very well-known and well-respected voice across broadcasting here in New Zealand, and he's in our Wellington studio. Hi, John.
1: Hi, Jesse, and it's so nice to be here. Yeah. I, I wonder when you started who you were talking about, but um, eventually you mentioned that it was me, so I- I'm pleased. I, I have yeah. done a bit, haven't I?
0: Well, well, writing that book must have felt a bit that way. Oh, Sitting down to, uh, to list all the things you've done, and suddenly it must have started looking pretty impressive. And
1: lots of memories emerged, some that have been hidden away in my very de- declining memory, I must admit, uh, Jesse. And I, uh, it's very difficult to understand that 50 years has gone by so quickly. I, I know you talked to Dick Taylor a while back, and mm. I'm catching up with Dick shortly um, in Timaru, and... We're going to be looking at, you know, 50 years since that Commonwealth Games in Christchurch. And, you know, just unbelievable. So time flicks by. And if I hadn't kept some, you know, diaries that were were not complete by any means, a lot of it was just basic stuff. But if things happened that were important, I I did jot them down. Unfortunately, I kept those diaries. So I was able to, you know, go back through those, uh, then try and work out whether the dates were right and was I actually there? You <laughs> so know it was a, it was a wonderful exercise, a difficult job, and I, I think I've mentioned that it took probably six years from the start till the finish with lots of periods in between of doing nothing about it.
0: Yeah, did you have some help with your boy from your boy Paul?
1: Yeah, yeah, Paul at one stage came to me with a tape recorder. He's a he's a journalist, and he said, "I really need to sit down and ask you a few questions, Dad. I'd I'd like to know why you missed eight of my birthdays. Where were you? <laughs> what were you doing?" Um, but he said, "Just for for my sake, and then for posterity's sake, I'd like to ask you some questions." So he did. He didn't follow up on that, but it triggered something within me that I should maybe do something. Like that, and and having completed the book, it's been interesting. Some of the comments from family um, asking me questions, and such as, "I didn't know you had that car accident, Dad. Um, that must have been scary." You know that sort of thing. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's been really worthwhile. Uh, a lot of good feedback too.
0: Lots of uh, broadcasters focus on one or maybe two sports, but I, I, what, what stands out to me is the breadth of sports that you've managed to be on the sidelines for.
1: Often I regretted saying yes to some of the requests, Jesse. Um, What do you mean? Well, synchronized swimming, for example. Um, I recall in Athens in um, 2004 where I was asked to do the synchronized swimming, and I said I would so long as I had an expert alongside me. Um, which meant that I could just be the link person. Um, But the accreditation that was given to the uh, expert wasn't correct, and and they couldn't get into the pool with me. So I was left stranded, basically, (laughs) with absolutely no knowledge of synchronized swimming. And... (laughs) And it's probably the only time that a commentary has been done where there's been pretty much absolute silence from the from the commentator. So, yeah, if I'd said, you know, so those sorts of things came back to haunt me occasionally. But. Yeah.
0: Well, people, some people might imagine that the commentator's role is to be completely dispassionate and, and neutral and not get overly excited. But we're going to talk a bit about Daniel uh today, and, and I think that was an occasion where you – we're really there as a fan as well as a broadcaster, or maybe fan's not quite the right word, but as a as a supporter, enthusiast. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. New Zealand broadcaster looking at an historic event, um, an historic victory for New Zealand because. Um, No New Zealand swimmer had won, well, one swimmer had won a gold medal for, if a New Zealander had won a gold medal previously at an Olympics in the pool, and that was Malcolm Champion in 1912, but he was part of an Australasian relay team. So when we were looking at our swimmers, we'd had, you know, Gene Hurring had won a bronze medal in 1992, and... Paul Kingsman and Anthony Moss had won bronze medals in 1988, and then Loder himself had won a silver medal in Barcelona. But we'd never had a gold medal winner, and all this, all the points indicated uh, that we had a big chance. When I say we, so that shows I'm not dispassionate. So it was, it was you know that <laughs> Loder had a great chance yeah. of winning our first ever gold medal, and that was Atlanta 1996, And it? Stands out amongst, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the things I've done, such as America's Cup and, um, you know, lots of Rugby World Cups and the return test match when South Africa came back uh, against the All Blacks in Johannesburg after their spell on apartheid and and lots of other events. But, you know, the loader thing um, just stays with me. Gives me a tingle even now thinking about it. What do you remember of those games? The games themselves were quite rumpty, I thought. You know, the mm. organisation wasn't great. We had...
0: Traffic uh, problems, as traffic,
1: I either, um You know, media can complain like anyone, and, <laughs> and we did, uh, you know, getting taken to the wrong venues and media, buses not turning up on time, and it was horrendous, and our accommodation was only so-so, but, you know, all we needed was a bed and a, you know, a shower, but it was it was really quite difficult, um, and and there were... You know, I mean, there was so, but a lot of it was really good. But it was commercialized. You know, it was America, it was Atlanta. There were the the big brands um, floating around, and it was a commercial Olympics, as 1984 had been. They'd they'd begun it in 1984, but yeah, yeah 1996 was even more so.
0: And just looking at the results, it wasn't a hugely flash Olympics for us. I mean, no disrespect to the people who did win gold. Blythe Tate won gold. Yep. Um, there, and Sally Clark was a silver, in, both in the equestrian. Barbara Kendall, uh, silver in sailing. And then the equestrian team got a bronze. But apart from that, Daniel Loder, Loder two golds. Yeah. Did he enter that event as the favourite?
1: He was rated without doubt. And... What made uh, – within the New Zealand team, particularly the swim crew, there was a feeling that he was absolutely on fire in some meets uh, in, in America. he Duncan Lang, his coach, and Mark Bone, who was on that coaching team as well, they took Loder and the rest of the team. Anna Simsek, who made a final and finished sixth there. Oh, yeah. uh, they went off to uh, a couple of meets, and they just came back and said, look, we can't say too much, but Danyon is – we, we can't see him getting any better than this he was just fantastically timed everything to perfection so that when he went onto the blocks in the heats of the 200 meters uh he was comfortable you could sense with Daniel too he, he always had this lovely sense of composure he looked relaxed ponytail tucked up underneath uh, the swimming cap and um and so you know he when it when it came to the final um you know, he'd swum so well. He wasn't the fastest qualifier, but he was a second or third fastest. But even some of the great swimmers of the time who hadn't managed to get there, such as Dolan of the US and uh, Perkins of Australia, weren't in his race. They just said, if Daniel Loder is there or thereabouts and on the final turn, he'll win it. So he exuded confidence amongst uh, the opponents and and other swimmers as well. So he was at the top of the tree without doubt. But there was always, being a race, there's always that doubt, isn't there? And you know, when, when they went to the blocks, I remember Anthony Moss uh, saying in our preview, you know, I was going through who the swimmers were. There's Kowalski and there's Borges and uh, yeah. all that. And, and, and there's Loda. And Anthony Moss just said, stand by, New Zealand. We're in for something special today. <laughs> and I just gave him a withering look to, and said, <laughs> commentator's curse. You know, so often people of commentators have said that something is absolutely certain of happening and nothing certain in sport and uh and it fails and we we just call it the commentator's curse so you know we were hoping that that didn't occur on this day and anthony moss was absolutely right. It was something special.
0: Side note: Have you ever cursed anyone as you look back in uh, your uh, commentary career?
1: I, I stopped doing it quite early.
0: Did you? Uh, even
1: you know, even with a kick at goal, and uh, I commentated lots of shots at goal in rugby. It could be, you know, Dan Carter. You know, five meters to the left of the post, you, know, you just you daren't say, uh, "Well, he'll he'll get this one." And invariably, he would, but there'd be one time when you said it, and and he it might have hit the upright or something like that. So, no, just take this, take all that certainty away from it, and and make people just know that something could go wrong here.
0: Does one of Daniel loder two finals stick out to you in particular?
1: Oh, the first one, without doubt, because. Uh, this was the one which gave us that historic us again, mm. gave New Zealand that historic gold medal in the pool. And and we've only had two, both of them from Loder, and that's nearly 30 years ago. And although we've had some very good swimmers since then, um, the longer it goes on, the more you tend to think that it might well be that, you know, in fifty years time, Daniel Loder is still the only
0: yeah.
1: swimmer to have won a gold medal, but gosh there 's some good swimmers at the moment, um, so that first one, yes, without doubt and, and what made it great was that the, the, the in, input of anthony moss as a as a comments expert because he 'd been there and done it, and he at the start, apart from saying "Stand by for something special um, at the at the first fifty daniel loder wasn 't in front, he was there or thereabouts, you know third or fourth. And off the wall, Anthony Moss just said, don't worry, New Zealand, he's in a great position here. And then off the 100, um, off, he, off he came and said, now watch his turns. Daniel Loder's turns have been supreme. Watch the improvement he makes when he surfaces. And up he comes. And Daniel Loder is there, second place. Off the final turn, you know, watch the big size 12 feet make a big splash here. You know, all that sort of stuff. And then Loder's in front. And Loder's in front with 25 to go. And Loder's leading. And I'm saying Loder's... In front 25 to go pause as you do in tv and then sort of allow it to carry and then i was going to come in with the big finish but anthony moss jumped in and he said loader's going to win loader loader oh he's going to win this and i had to basically put my hand across his mouth and tell him to you know stop stops talking because i jesse wanted to be the one who said loader gold for new zealand so that was you know history was made and um I, you know, I'm talking a lot here, as you know I can do, but I, I remember vividly looking across the other side of the pool where Duncan Lang was. There were a whole lot of New Zealand non-competitors had the day off or officials, and they were delirious with excitement. They were hugging each other. They were waving flags. They were cheering, and for myself over the other side of the pool, uh, up came commentators from other parts of the world to congratulate me and Anthony Moss because they understood how important that was
0: Can you talk to me about um, Daniel Loder's uh, character because as I recall he he wasn't exactly a dream interviewee from a broadcaster's perspective, not that that was his main job there in Atlanta of course to give interviews but what do you remember about that?
1: Well you're quite right, he understood that it, it was all about him achieving you know he he knew how good he could be he knew how good he was he'd set his target he wanted to win if he had to you know brush the media aside or or appear reticent to talk that, that was fine he you know he was so focused um and he it was basically that i'll let my swimming do the talking thanks afterwards after he'd won the medal he was fine you know he, he chatted away but you know, it wasn't overflowing with um, great quotes or anything. Mm. I, I always felt he was—he's a it was an interesting character. I often referred to him as a freak, and you know, in a pleasant way because he was a a, a freakish swimmer, freakish athlete. Um, but you know, afterwards I thought, well, why he, he did swim again in the Commonwealth Games and uh, at a great World Championships and that in between, but he just drifted away, and there was that opportunity, a wonderful commercial opportunity, you know, for Daniel Loader. Yeah. Um, But he wasn't interested in that, and I know, you know, some people within Swimming New Zealand um, and sponsors, uh, you know, arranged uh, events and tours and that for Daniel, but no, no, he was quite comfortable. He just sort of backed away from it, Um, and he's done lots of things since. I think he became, he had got a deep-sea diver's license, and... You know, worked in bars in Christchurch and then he's he's been in Auckland, he, he worked in Wellington, I think uh, Tauranga, that sort of area. So he's done lots of things, Daniel, and I don't think he, he might regret. It'd be quite good to chat to him sometime, actually, uh, Jesse, because um, I don't know if he'd regret not taking those opportunities or whether he just, you know, it wasn't him.
0: We will try and get him on, on this show. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure if my producers um, have tried in the past. I suspect they have. Um, while we're still in Atlanta, there was a young Irish swimmer who made some headlines. I'm <laughs> um, pleased you brought this up
1: because, you know, we're talking about Anthony Moss, uh, you know, earlier, and, and we had this, this Michelle Smith, was her name. She was Irish. She was 26 years of age, so she was not a, a youthful swimmer. She was the fastest qualifier in the 400 metres individual medley, where she took four seconds off her best time, which meant 17 seconds off her best time over the previous three seasons, which is unheard of. Mm. Um, she just slaughtered everyone in the final. She went on to win the 200 individual medley. She won the 200 metres, uh, uh, the 400 metres freestyle, um, and Anthony Moss looked at it, and Anthony. As I said, such an incisive um, comments person. He knew what was going on. He just said at one stage, what is this girl on? (laughs) Um, Which immediately drew the wrath of all the Irish reporters. And uh, for for days afterwards. It's quite an
0: ambiguous statement,
1: isn't it? Oh, yeah. But – it wasn't only he who was thinking this, yeah. but of course, you know, Ireland had never had a, an Olympic female gold medalist. I don't think at, at that stage in any sport, let alone um, one who gets suddenly gets three in, in swimming, because uh, I don't think there was. I remember reading some years ago that they didn't even have a fifty-meter pool uh, for where she could train. So, but anyway, um, there was lots of rumours and stories came out, and she was married to a Dutch discus thrower who himself had been banned for three years for failing drug tests, and and so it all sort of every. Everything pointed towards her being a cheat, Um, but it took a long time. She consistently avoided or was unavailable for random drug tests. Uh, She became a GP, I think, so she got involved in the medical profession. It wasn't until a couple of years later that um, they just forced her to give a a urine sample. She went into a, a toilet with a couple of drug testers. She had very bulky clothing on. Um so they couldn't see exactly what was happening. They took the test back to the laboratories and they said the alcohol content in the test would have been fatal. Um so uh-huh. she obviously have been a slight substance um swap there and, and so she was banned um and that was it but it was you know but it was great from Anthony Moss's point of view just stood his ground, did not back down and eventually was proven to be absolutely correct.
0: Yeah. Gosh, you must feel very grateful to have been at, um, well, ringside, poolside, uh, sideline for some of these incredible moments.
1: Oh, I can't believe it. You know, I I was thinking, as I mentioned, the America's Cup was, was quite remarkable. And San Diego, I'm talking about, and the subsequent ones I went to, but... You know, that was history again. History with Daniel Loder, history with San Diego and Peter Blake's crew winning the America's Cup. Uh, a period of six months I was in San Diego working with wonderful people like Peter Montgomery and so on, Peter Lester and others, um, but being right there for it. And, you know, some of those rugby matches, that first Rugby World Cup in 1987 when we didn't know nobody knew whether that would become a permanent fixture mm. because you know it was Australia and New Zealand and we dragged the international rugby board into it eventually well that became what it is today um, you know and and, and sitting sideline at winter olympics uh, some of the great events there and some of the great track events at the commonwealth games and and olympic games um i when i was writing this book it's over um I just kept having to pinch myself a little bit, Jesse, to see if it all really happened. It was, um, it's been remarkable. I can't
0: believe it, really. Cheeky question for you, John. You're you're used to commentating uh, competition. Is it competitive between broadcasters in the world of sports? I suppose there's always that hope that
1: I'll get the job ahead of him or her. Um, but no, I I didn't find it that way. I mean, not. You know, I'm not that competitive myself, so I was always delighted if asked um, to do a commentary or fill a commentary role somewhere. Um, in in my own background, with my time with Television New Zealand after I'd left the, the radio scene, um, there were three commentators all vying for the one position, myself, Keith Quinn and Grant Nisbet. Uh, you know, they were all at my book launch uh, at the Ramadi Bowling Club a couple of weeks ago, and you know we've remained firm friends, e- friends even though, you know, there was a, it looked as though we might have been competing um, for positions, but yeah, I suppose um, you know I've had occasions where people have slipped in and tried to get a job ahead of me. Well, I just you know take that for granted, and um, if I'm good enough, then I'll get the job.
0: Mm. Um, I want to talk about your um, latest career in a moment, Um, but just while we're talking about highlights of your sports broadcasting career, you actually got on board one of the Team New Zealand boats. Oh, I don't think there's any other sport in which a commentator
1: could be right in the middle of the action. I can't, you know, you can't get in the middle of a scrum and I wouldn't want to or... Um, you know be in the middle of the pool alongside a swimmer or anything like that but this was just one of those occasions where I was so delighted that Grant Dalton and his crew uh, invited me on board to be 18th man in Valencia and uh, that was the third Olympic fourth America's Cup I'd been to and in that period of one race against Luna Rossa. I was on the be- on the back, um, as I always referred to it, because my yachting terminology took a while to come <laughs> accurate, <laughs> yep. uh, standing there, not able to speak to anyone or use my phone or take photos or anything like that. And I remember just thinking, I've learned more in this two hours or whatever it was of racing than I had in the previous four America's oh, Cup. Just being there, you know, seeing the sweat and the and, and hearing the comments and the yelling and the tension and... Uh, so close to the opposition, I felt like I'd almost reach out and touch the bow of the the other boat. It was uh, really an extraordinary um, experience and one that I was
0: very grateful for. Talking to John Macbeth, his memoir is called It's Over, and I suspect that's not a phrase you'll use in your latest career turn, John. Oh. um, As funeral funeral celebrant. Funeral celebrant,
1: yes. Um, Well, I, I quite i 'm often asked if I enjoy being a funeral celebrant, and my response invariably is it 's not enjoyment it 's just feeling comfortable with it yeah and and i've i've felt i mean it 's quite a testing profession because sometimes you 're sitting down with a family uh, who you 've never met before and they don 't know me. And you can sometimes sense that there's a bit of friction from one end of the table. you know families mm. uh, have their own problems and um, but I, all i all I encourage people to do is uh, It's a celebration of a life, which means that if the person had a sense of humor and invariably people have, we want some humor in it. We want the serious thing. We want to have tears and we want to have joy and laughter. I encourage people to applaud after someone's um, paid tribute to a a deceased person. And my, my final word always is no regrets. You know, people are unwilling or hesitant about wanting to say something about a person who's... Had an impact on on them. I'll say, don't wake up the next day wishing that you had said something. You know, no regrets. That's the way. Um, so I, I do. I, I mean, I've got one to do tomorrow, and I've got another on Monday, Jesse. Oh, and gosh. I, so I shall be writing that, that up now. No, no. Yeah. But, but it is. It's um. It's also gives me flexibility. If I want to play bowls on Thursday, and someone hmm. asks me to do a funeral on th- Thursday, I'll think, no, no. I think I'll play bowls instead.
0: <laughs> um. For people who would like a copy of your book where shall I send them
1: well they are going out to various bookstores shortly um, but in the main in between time I've been just handling it myself so Macbeth tartan 23 at gmail.com and I'll respond personally to that so mcbeth tartan 2 three uh, at um, gmail.com and I'll mention the tartan because Macbeth tartan' has been important to me. Jesse and my family, and there's a little slash of the Macbeth tartan on the back of the book, um, as well as Colours in the Front, which just reflect the provinces that I've supported and lived in over the years.
0: Great stuff. Real Mm. privilege to spend half an hour with you, John. Thanks so much. Has it gone? Is it half an hour already? It's all over. Great. Thank you, Jesse, very much. (laughs) John Macbeth.